Let's see. Can you see me well? Yes, you can see me well. Just a moment. For our people, Israel, for me, and likely all of you, the Bible is a source of endless fascination. It is important that we allow ourselves to become fascinated with the Bible, because only if we ourselves are fascinated can we interest others in this book of books. It is truly extraordinary and pivotal for the renewal of human life. Today, let's now examine how, in the Bible, God starts humanity off four times. It's interesting. In each case, God's goal is that humankind should live in fellowship with him and reflect his glory. These creations are interlinked so that aspects of the earlier creations get enfolded into the later ones. Each of these creations has a key figure. I know that sounds confusing, but it will become clearer as we go on. Thinking about these things will help us to increase our fascination with the Bible and our ability to open it to others. So let's dig in. In the first creation, the key figure is Adam, or Adam, and his wife Chava, Eve. God would have wanted Adam, Eve, and their progeny to live in fulfilling an unbroken fellowship with him. And then came the sin with the forbidden fruit, known as the fall. They were expelled from their garden. Uh, their first son, Cain, killed his brother Abel. The first creation experiment failed. This week's parasha centers on the second creation, and the central figure is Noah. God wipes out all that breathes on the earth, seeking to make a new beginning from Noah and his family and what they saved on the ark. But that solution also becomes corrupted, as we learn in the conduct of Noah's sons, who after they come out of the ark, they find him drunk and naked in his tent with Ham acting inappropriately. We also read the story of the Tower of Babel, where, as in the first creation, humankind tries to go into business for itself, leading instead to chaos. All of these stories illustrate how the second creation, centered in Noah, failed. Humankind was living in rebellion against God rather than in harmony with him. The third creation of redeemed humanity centers in Avraham, Abraham whom God calls, and who, like the pre-fall Adam and Noah, is presented as righteous. God promises Avraham, I will make of you a great nation, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Avraham and his family, like the family of Adam and then of Noah, 
are supposed to be the, uh, the successful agents of God's creative purpose to bring mankind into unbroken relationship with himself. But the Bible shows us, does it not, how the Jewish people failed in our task. Too often, instead of being righteous in their generation, as Noah had been, our people have been a reflection of the corruption around them. We were supposed to be a portrait of righteousness. Instead, we became a mirror of the world. Despite our noble inheritance and holy way of life, despite God's repeated redemptive acts on our behalf, despite having the very presence of God living among us in the temple, we failed. And with us, God's third project for bringing humankind into a redeemed and intimate relationship with himself failed. Mankind was still, for the most part, estranged from God. However, despite our failures in each of these creations, we see that God is a redeeming and merciful God. He makes garments for the shamed and naked Adam and Eve. He puts a mark on the murderer Cain so that others will not murder him. He redeems Noah, his family, and representative living creatures on the ark, using this remnant from before the flood as the seed plot of life for after the flood. But what of Israel? Despite our repeated failures, God has always sent redemption. The prophet Habakkuk pleaded with God, in wrath, remember mercy. And so he has. However, God's redemptive project is not yet done. For the most part, humankind still lives in rebellion against him and out of fellowship with him. And the world as we know it bears the scars of how we have misused it. With this in mind, God instituted his fourth redemptive project in which the key figure is Yeshua, our righteous Messiah. What God has done through Yeshua is frequently presented in new creation language. Let's look quickly at some of these passages. For example, therefore, if anyone is united with the Messiah, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Look, what has come is fresh and new. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Or, for, being, for neither being circumcised nor being uncircumcised matters. What matters is being a new creation. Galatians, I think that's 6.15, not 7.15. There's no 7.15. Another passage, but now you who once were far off have been brought near through the shedding of Messiah's blood, for he himself is our shalom. He made us both made. Notice that word. He made us both one and has broken down the machitza, the, the wall of partition, which divided us by destroying in his own body the enmity occasioned by the Torah, 
which had emphasized and maintained the distinction and separation between Israel and the nations. He did this, notice this, in order to create, there's that word, in union with himself from the two groups, a single new humanity, and thus make shalom. That's Ephesians 4, 13 to 15. Through Yeshua, God is making, he is creating a new humanity, a new creation. But there's more. For we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua. Notice, created in Messiah Yeshua for good deeds, which God prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. All of this talk of us being new creations is rooted in the fact that through Yeshua, we have become citizens of the age to come. We are destined to spend eternity in embodied immortality, occupying what the Bible terms the new heaven and the new earth, sometimes the new heavens and the new earth. Let's take a look at that term, which is a comprehensive way of referring to a new creation. Bible teacher Gary Mador, agreeing with what I have to say here, puts it this way. The new heaven and new earth will be God resetting and recreating the heavens and the earth, where sin and the effects of sin will no longer be present. You will be able to enjoy the beauty of God's presence in all his glory, unhindered by the presence of sin. This is what we spoke about in referring to creation one, two, and three, how sin frustrated God's intention. The Bible mentions the new heaven and the new earth a number of times in the, both the Old and New Testaments. Let's take a look at a few passages. Isaiah 65, 17 to 19. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. By the way, new heavens and new earth is a way of saying, I'm going to create a, a whole new ball of life. I'm going to create everything new. Everything is going to be renewed. It means it's a, it's a merism for everything. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and his people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. Here we see that the failures of God's experiment with Israel, what we called creation number three, are now healed. But there's more. From 2 Peter 3.13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Sorry, we, we're having a problem here, just a moment. No longer any, any sea. Um, and Isaiah 66, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, so will your name 
and your descendants endure. So this is what I call creation four. Yeshua is the one in whom this is centered and through whom the remnants of creation one with Adam and creation two with Noah and creation three where God sought to create a perfect situation where through Abraham, all of these various aspects are redeemed. The apostles are not slow to use the language of comparing the new creation and the old creation. The gospel according to Yohanan starts with the words, in the beginning was the word. He's mirroring the beginning of Genesis. Yeshua's words towards the end of that gospel, it is finished. Interesting. It reminds us of the words spoken at the end of the six days of creation. And how significant might it be that the resurrection and thus the new creation begins on the first day of the week. Also, the resurrection of Yeshua takes place from a garden, reminding us of Eden the garden God planted. And finally, in Yohanan's gospel, Yeshua breathes on his disciples, saying, receive the Holy Spirit, uh, mirroring God breathing into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. All these connections cannot be accidental. Maybe you could argue with one or two, but there's too many to just dismiss it. Perhaps the most interesting connection between the first creation through Adam and the fourth creation through Yeshua is to be found in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 23. The Messiah has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a man, Adam, also the resurrection of the dead has come through a man the last Adam, Yeshua. For just as in connection with Adam, all die, so in connection with the Messiah, all will be made alive. But each in his own order. The Messiah is the first fruits than those who belong to Messiah at the time of his coming. Yeshua is the first fruits of the new creation. He is the one through whom we become part of the new creation. When the Bible speaks about us being new creatures, it's because we are experiencing an infusion of the new creation identities by the power of the Spirit. In some sense, we're experiencing the presence of the future. So, what are we to do with all of this? I would suggest this. Realize that what God is doing in the Messiah is huge, not small. It's not about saving souls. It's about redeeming an entire cosmos. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the removal of trespasses in keeping with the riches of his grace that lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Thus, the sin problem is solved that has wrecked the creation enterprise since the garden. That's good. 
But he goes on and he says this, he made known to us the mystery of his will in keeping with his good pleasure that he planned in Messiah, the not puny plan of the fullness of times to bring all things together in Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth, all in him. In him we also were chosen, predestined according to his plan. He keeps working out all things according to the purpose of his will, so that we might be for his glorious praise. And that is really the goal of today's study, that all of us might live for his glorious praise, experiencing and fulfilling his redemption uh, his creational plan, so as to live in continual and growing fellowship with God, who in Yeshua loved us, gave himself for us, and ever lives to make intercession for us, until we all will live together in everlasting community and harmony in the new heaven and new earth, where righteousness dwells. Can you hear it, son? May such be his will. So look at this diagram imprinted on your mind. The four creations of redeemed humanity. It started out with Adam, and then through sin that was corrupted. Then with Noah, who was supposed to give rest to, to the world. That's his name is connected with that. The experiment with Noah started off well, but also fell. Then Avraham, unfortunately, our people, as privileged as we are, we failed to be the light to the world that we should have been. And then Yeshua came, the man without sin, and in him all will succeed. I hope this gives you a handle on scripture, a new fascination with the workings of God and with the language that he uses from testament to testament, what's called intertextuality, where certain terms and words will echo something earlier in the Bible or something later in the Bible, and then it all begins to link up. May you be fascinated. May you fascinate others. And may they join us in that kingdom that has no end. Shabbat Shalom.